Welcome back to the Bible Brush Up podcast. We've just concluded the books of Judges and Ruth, and today we're getting into the book of 1 Samuel. And as we look at 1 Samuel, there's a character that is introduced in the beginning named Elkanah. He has two wives, one of which will birth Samuel, who will be the main character that we'll be talking about. But before we get to him, let's talk a little bit about Elkanah and, and his two wives, because when we look at the previous narratives that we covered in the previous episodes, we see that there was a wifeless situation going on in Benjamin. And the book of Judges concludes with this issue where the Benjaminites had had civil war break out against them because of their sinfulness. And many of the tribes would not issue their daughters and give them up to be wives of the Benjaminites. And so they had to conjure up some weird a scenario where they would allow the Benjaminites to steal their daughters and things like that just so that they wouldn't be breaking an oath to God. And then you get to the book of Ruth, and while there's none of that weirdness going on, we do have a suspenseful narrative where we're wondering, is this marriage going to work out? Is uh, Ruth going to become a wife again, or is she going to remain single? And so in the backdrop of singleness, we have a man pop up on the scene who doesn't only have one wife, but he has two wives. The main and favored wife is named Hannah, but she's barren and she cannot have children. Whereas Panina is the other wife who is able to have children, and she seems to be an instigator in a feud that uh, goes on between the two women as she brings much hardship through her harsh words. Uh, and Hannah goes to the Lord and requests that God aid her uh, in her barrenness. And Eli, of course, hears the prayer or doesn't hear it. He sees her lips moving, and there's an entire dialogue about this. But in the end, he grants her uh, and says, go, let God give you what you've asked for. And God does. And so Hannah has the child, Samuel, and she dedicates him to the Lord. Now, this dedication looks a lot different than the dedication uh, that we see back in the story of the judges with Jephthah, um, because as I had said in a previous episode, I believe Jephthah actually burned his daughter uh, at an altar as an offering to the Lord, which was a common practice uh, among the other nations and their religious practices that I believe Jephthah was uh, synchronizing his faith in Yahweh too. Uh, but here we have Hannah who does it in a completely different way. She dedicates her son to the service of the Lord, and so he now lives in Shiloh where the Ark of the Covenant is, and he's going to be a servant in God's house here uh, under the supervision of Eli, who is the high priest at the time. And then Hannah breaks out into a song, which I think is very significant here. Uh, as you read through chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, Hannah is singing, and one of the things she brings out in this song is that God exalts the humble and he brings down the proud. And I think she's singing that from her own experience in the fact that God has blessed her and opened her womb, and now she has this child. Uh, and Penina, who is the one who I think she's maybe targeting specifically because she's been proud and arrogant through this whole thing. And so Hannah is seeing herself as being exalted in this moment, but I think she's also speaking almost prophetically about things to come. And so we need to keep that in the background uh, as we read forward and look at how the proud are going to be brought down and how the humble are going to be exalted. Uh, but furthermore, the song speaks of God's sovereign control and how he comes in and he wins the battle and he crushes the enemy and how he is never out of the picture. Even though things look 
desperate, and even though there is darkness around, God is using all that for his uh, final purposes. And so she brings that to our attention, and then finally she brings out in this song that God will work through his king, the Messiah, and the anointed one. And these words uh, seem uh, strange probably to us reading, because up to this point, there is no king. There is no Messiah or anointed one besides the priesthood. They're the only anointed ones we have. Um, but it seems here that Hannah has some form of prophetic utterance because a king is coming. That's what this book and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and really the rest of the Old Testament are predominantly about is the kingdom that is going to be built here. The illusions and foreshadowings of a future king don't stop there, though, because later in the same chapter, God speaks to Eli concerning the sin of his two sons, and he reveals to him that he's going to remove the priesthood from his family, who was supposed to be a, a perpetual priesthood, but he's going to take it away from him, and he says he's going to raise up a faithful priest and build his house. And while on the surface, uh, this kind of seems like it may be referring to Samuel, who is going to certainly step in and fill a vacant slot for a little while as a priest figure, um, but certainly it seems that maybe this is foreshadowing the time of Zadok and the priesthood that follows his family line uh, that God raises up. And also in that same reference in chapter 2, verse 35, he speaks of building his house. And that phrase is very significant for the books of First and Second Samuel because that is the language that's going to be used regarding the kingdom. And David is going to be established as a house, and God is going to ask God to build him a house. And so all of this house-building uh, language is focused around the kingdom. And so this could be a subtle dual prophecy uh, referring to the leadership of Samuel, who kind of fulfills all the roles in a temporary capacity, uh, but it certainly paves the way for a more permanent fulfillment in Zadok and the kingdom led by King David when we get there. And all of this certainly continues to fulfill the motif that's been laid out by Hannah's song. She's going to exalt the lowly because the servant boy living beneath uh, in the shadows of the priest Hophni and Phinehas, uh, Samuel, when he rises to leadership and becomes the temporary priest and prophet and leader and judge of Israel, he is taken from a barren situation to an exalted situation, whereas the leaders of the day are brought down low and are killed off in battle. Uh, we see David, who is a shepherd boy, is going to be raised up to king. And this is uh, another fulfillment in the same book that is showing that Hannah's song had some merit to it. It, it didn't, she knew what she was talking about when she was singing this song. And God is doing all this and working all this because he's sovereignly in control, just as she sang about. And so these are some uh, just quick examples of how her song resonate throughout the rest of the book and how some of the language used uh, in this book continues to build and build and progress as you get through the narrative. As Samuel takes on this role, though, early on in chapter 3, we see that this comes about during a time where the word of the Lord was rare. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, that the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And the reason that the word of God is rare is probably because of the lack of righteousness in the land. This is during the time period of the judges. This is during the time period of civil war. This is during the time period of a lack of male leadership and uh, leading one's house. This is during a period of burning your daughter at the altar and um, just family 
Discord. This is during an era where people are cutting up concubines and mailing their body parts across the country. Um, there's just one evil, atrocious act after another, and therefore God's not speaking to these people. But here comes a man named Samuel, and he is raised up from a lowly state, and God raises him to a position of prominence, and he begins speaking to him. And the Bible says in this book that he does not allow any of Samuel's words to fall to the ground, uh, which means that he makes sure that his prophetic utterances come to pass and that people understand that he has prophetic and priestly authority as he leads the nation. And he is going to take up the mantle after God's words come to pass uh, regarding Phineas and Hophni, because in a battle between the Philistines, who are a strange group of people, by the way, uh, the Philistines come out of nowhere. History can't pinpoint their origin. They seem to be wayf um, seafaring um, people who just randomly come to the shores of the Mediterranean uh, without even maybe even having a common starting point. Just a, a random group that didn't know each other shows up one day and forms a nation, and now they become the enemies of God. So it's almost like God sovereignly orchestrates this enemy to be against the Israelites. And they come against um, Phineas and Hophni and the Israelites and kill these two priests and take the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Ark of the Covenant was being used uh, and weaponized by the Israelites, not because they were trusting in God, but they thought their toy would win the battle. And it doesn't, because if God's not for you, it doesn't matter if you have the box. Uh, you got to have God. And so God doesn't fight the battle for them like he did for Joshua and for Moses, because they didn't trust in God at this period. They weren't talking to God. The word of the Lord was rare. And so the Philistines take the Ark of the Covenant, and it doesn't do them any good either. So it can't be manipulated. It can't be used to one's advantage. It's just like the angel of the Lord who appeared to Joshua um, on the other side of the Jericho. And Joshua asked, are you on our side or their side? And the angel of the Lord said, I'm not on anybody's side. You need to choose whether you're on my side or not. And that's exactly what God is saying here. He is going to exalt the humble, and he's going to bring down the prideful. And it doesn't matter if the prideful are in Israel or outside of Israel. He's against pride and he's against the arrogant. And that's what Hannah's song proclaimed. And that's what's taking place here, regardless of where the Ark of the Covenant goes. When it comes back into Israel, the Israelites rejoice, but then 10 of them end up dying that day just because they weren't reverent enough uh, or, or treating it with reverence. Um, and so God is not playing favorites here. He doesn't side with one person and show partiality. He's God. It's our duty to align with him, not the other way around. So the family of Eli, they don't side with God and they crumble and Samuel is exalted. We're going to get to the kingdom shortly and Saul is going to exalt himself and try to offer sacrifices in an improper way. And therefore he's going to crumble and he's going to be brought down. But a small shepherd boy, young and the least likely to be the king, he's going to be exalted as king, which just shows us that pride goes before destruction, but God exalts the lowly. We'll pick up next time with the king, Saul, and David on the next episode of the Bible Brush Up Podcast. <laughs>